Hello and welcome to the June podcast from Stevenson Harwood Pensions Law Team. You can subscribe and listen on iTunes and Stitcher or by visiting our Pensions Hub at www.pensionshub.com. I'm Stella Bagheera, a Managing Associate in the Pensions Team, and I have with me Alexandra Bellis, an Associate in our team. Hello. Today we will discuss a number of topics, including the revised deadline for the Pensions Dashboards and a potential extension of the scope of the PPF. Firstly, though, we will consider a recent case that could have significant implications for certain defined benefit pension schemes. Thanks, Estella. The case we are considering is that of Virgin Media Limited and NTL Pension Trustees 2 Limited and others. This considers if amendments made to contracted out benefits for the occupational defined benefit schemes accrued between 1997 and 2016 are valid where there was no actuary's confirmation under Section 37, the Pension Schemes Act 1993. This case concerns so-called Section 9, Subsection 2B rights. These were accrued after April 1997 and were, in effect, designed to be the successor to guaranteed minimum pensions. For contracted out pension schemes, these were a way of providing benefits out of the scheme in place of the state's second pension and instead of through national insurance contributions. The contracted out regime came to an end in April 2016. Section 9, subsection 2B rights were therefore accrued between 1997 and 2016 and therefore subject to certain protections. There is a provision in the Pension Schemes Act 1993 which required that alterations to these types of benefits were to be accompanied by confirmation by the scheme actuary known as a Section 37 certificate. Where the alteration is made, the confirmation means that the actuary is satisfied that the scheme would continue to meet the reference scheme test. Such changes could include, for example, changes to the rate such benefits were accrued at. An issue that was identified in respect of the National Transcommunications Limited Pension Plan. A deed of amendment had been executed in 1999, which sought to reduce the rate of revaluation for deferred members' benefits. However, the Section 37 certificate, if it had originally existed, had not been located. The court was asked to consider three questions. The first question was whether the application of Section 37 would render an amendment made in the absence of a Section 37 certificate void to any extent. Secondly, would such validity apply to service accrued prior to such an amendment, or would it apply to service after that amendment? The last question is whether Section 37 would have such an effect only in relation to adverse alterations to Section 9, Subsection 2B rights, or in relation to all alterations to such rights. The Court held that Section 37 would render an amendment to the rules of a contracted out scheme, which relate to Section 9, Subsection 2B rights void, if the change was made without a Section 37 certificate. This would be the case in respect of both past and future services rights. Voidness would apply to all alterations to Section 9, Subsection 2B rights, and not merely those that would or might adversely affect such rights. This would mean that, even if the attempted change itself was otherwise unproblematic, the absence of a Section 37 certificate would render the attempted change invalid, at least until a later change was made with the Section 37 certificate. 
The court has not yet ruled in detail on where this judgment leaves the scheme in question. We understand there will be a consequentials hearing, which is due to be listed. It is hoped that this hearing may provide answers to some of the questions that were left unanswered by the judgment. It is not yet clear whether the application for permission to appeal will be filed, and Virgin still have a few weeks to consider this. Thank you, Alex. Our next topic is the revised timeline for pension dashboards. When the pensions dashboard legislation was initially drafted, the intention was for pension schemes to connect to a dashboard in a staged manner from the 1st of April 2023, with their connection deadline being determined by the size and type of scheme. However, in March, it was announced that the connection deadlines would be delayed to give the pensions industry adequate time to prepare. New draft regulations have now been laid. A staging timetable is no longer set out in legislation, but rather will be set out in guidance. Instead, the regulations provide a mandatory connection deadline of the 31st of October 2026, by which time all in-scope occupational schemes will need to have connected to a dashboard. The dashboard available point, the date from which pension dashboards will be available for use by the public, could be earlier than this. Whilst many have welcomed the delay to allow schemes to prepare fully, there is concern in the industry that if the only mandatory deadline is October 2026, there will be a capacity issue if schemes do not connect in a staged manner in accordance with the guidance which is to be published. The pensions regulator has also published a blog noting that the Department for Work and Pensions and the pensions regulator expect all trustees and scheme managers to be getting to grips with their member data to avoid competing demands on capacity and other resources. Industry capacity is a big concern, so it's crucial to plan ahead with third parties and ensure they can comply with their dashboard duties." End quote. We recommend that trustees of in-scope schemes continue to get their scheme data into a dashboard-ready state. Thanks, Estella. It has been widely reported that the government is considering extending the scope of the PPF to become a consolidation vehicle for small, poor-performing DB schemes. The driver for such consolidation would, it seems, be to unlock funds currently held by defined benefit scheme trustees for the investment in the UK, specifically into startups and other fast-growing businesses. The spring budget earlier this year included reference to using defined contribution scheme funds and LGPS assets to unlock investment in innovative companies and other productive assets. It appears the scope of such unlocking may be extended to defined benefit scheme funds too. We have extremely limited detail on what such a scheme might involve. What we know, or at least what we expect so far, is that entry would be on a voluntary basis, and once accepted by the PPF, the sponsoring employer would no longer have any liability for the pension scheme, and the trustees would also cease to have a role. The PPF would take control of the scheme's assets and would be responsible in full for its liabilities. This, of course, leaves many unanswered questions. How will the criteria for entry be determined and assessed? Who will choose whether a scheme enters the PPF consolidation vehicle? Will it be the trustees or will it be the sponsoring employer? What level of benefits will members receive? Will they be full level benefits or will they be PPF level benefits? What will happen to any surplus that ends up in the PPF? Will members and previous employers benefit in any way or will the surplus become a windfall for the government? 
Will levy payers be expected to provide the capital backing for the vehicle, or will it be supported by government guarantee? The biggest question of all, though, must be whether any such consolidation programme, driven by a desire to promote economic growth, would be in the best interests of pension scheme members. Our next topic is the recent pensions ombudsman case of Mr Y, in which the ombudsman confirms the scope of employers, trustees and scheme administrators' duties regarding warning members of personal tax implications. In this decision, the ombudsman reiterated that a sponsoring employers, trustees and scheme administrators' duties do not extend to warning members about personal tax implications as a result of options around the taking of benefits. The employer's duty does not extend beyond the employer needing to be aware of the operation of the scheme rules and ensure that it communicates with members appropriately and does not extend to other extraneous factors. Furthermore, a scheme administrator's duty is to comply with their functions as governed by the Finance Act 2004 and service agreements. In this case, the member's money purchase annual allowance was triggered as a result of his decision to take his ABC benefits in his chosen form. The Ombudsman noted that the member had been offered alternative options for taking benefits which would have avoided the trigger and that it was the member's responsibility alone to obtain independent advice and to understand the personal consequences. For our final topic, we will mention that the Department for Business and Trade and His Majesty's Treasury have published a response to their March 2023 consultation, which was on long-term investment for technology and science initiative. This initiative aims to establish new investment vehicles to crowd in investment from institutional investors, particularly defined contribution pension funds to the UK science and technology companies. In March 2023, the government sought feedback on the options for government support, the qualifying criteria for proposals and the overall approach and timetable for the initiative. The government has now published a response to this and it recognises that unlocking institutional investment, particularly defined contribution pension capital, is a long-term policy area. The response emphasises that long-term investment for technology and science initiative is part of a wider productive finance agenda on which the Chancellor will provide further statements in the coming months. So watch this space. And that's all for this month's podcast. Further detail can be found in our June snapshot, which is available on our Pensions Hub at www.pensionshub.com. You can listen to this podcast again and subscribe to the series on iTunes, on Stitcher or on the Pensions Hub. Thank you. Thank you.